1: Not every conspiracy theory comes true, although lots of them do. Uh, We had Cyril Wecht here just yesterday talking about a shot that he said came from the, you know, the famous grassy knoll down in Dallas and killed JFK. And it's not really a conspiracy theory anymore because of new evidence that's coming out. And he's been talking about it for 50 years, but there are some crazy ones out there that have been getting some traction, and maybe they're only getting traction on Twitter, and then you have to keep in mind that, you know, Twitter isn't the real world. But a big one out there right now is that Michelle Obama is a man. There are people out there referring to her as Big Mike, and there are pictures of her looking pretty big and pretty manly compared to Barack when they're rowing a boat, some other pictures like that. And there are people who seriously, I think, seriously believe that she actually is a man. Seems a little far-fetched, though, don't you think? I mean, I'm guessing she went to high school, right? And there's a yearbook picture somewhere? Not to mention high school and college classmates who only knew her as a female. You would think that this one would have disappeared a long time ago, but it's out there and it takes away credibility from so many other conspiracy theories that might not just be theories. Another one is uh, one that we hear every year on September 11th, and that's the one about a missile hitting the Pentagon, the theory being that it was not a jet, that it was a missile, and then you're supposed to have the conspiracy theory about where the missile came from, and uh, that's, that's been out there, as I said, since uh, not long after the, uh, the tragedy on September 11th, 2001. So, again, how hard, though, would it be to debunk this? The plane that hit the Pentagon was full of people. It took off from an airport. Nobody has seen any of those people since September 11, 2001. So where did they go? Are they all in the witness protection program? Their families are still missing them and mourning them. So nobody seems to have an explanation for where the people on the plane have gone. Now, There will be a lot more conspiracy theories, but maybe it would be a good idea to pick and choose the ones that are worth focusing on, as Cyril Wecht has done, as I said, for over 50 years now. And there are plenty of those, by the way, as I said. So when we come back, uh, we're going to have Horace Cooper of Project 21 Black Leadership Network here to talk about his new book, Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. And in our second half hour, how your kids and or grandkids, I guess, are, are being taught by teachers who are only considered qualified not because of their teaching credentials, but because they have the right political views. They're woke. Stick around. Well, it's hard to believe that anybody who's been conscious for the last uh, two and a half years would vote to keep Joe Biden in the White House, but it could happen. And one way for it not to happen would be for black voters to walk away in big numbers. Horace Cooper of the Black Leadership Network, Project 21, has a new book out. It's called Keep Y'all in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. He joins us now, and uh, Horace. Always good to have you on. Thanks for coming on again.
2: Great to be on the program, but it's put y'all back in chains. How Biden's policies? Oh, are I'm sorry. About. Yeah,
1: I, I I I have a bad habit of getting book titles wrong. It's my one of my one of the key things of my job here. Sorry about that. Yeah, put y'all in chains. I guess uh, it was Joe who said keep y'all in chains, and that's what I was thinking. That's the famous quote from him. He said actually
2: that, that's. Not this is a direct quote from him. That's why
1: we came up with the title. Oh, okay. Put y'all in chains. Uh, Put so- y'all
2: back in chains.
1: Yep. So uh, how, how uh, Joe Biden's policies hurt black Americans. So what could a black voter who's been loyal to the Democrat Party learn from reading your book?
2: So the purpose of my book, I'm not targeting black Americans. I'm not targeting conservatives or Republicans. I am speaking to anybody who thinks that the best way to help black americans improve is to use big government solutions that try to pick racial winners and losers joe biden's administration has doubled down on this idea that whatever problems that anybody can ever identify the best solution is a big government solution and i show whether it's about energy whether it's about intact families uh... whether it's about education crime, whatever the category is, the Biden administration's solutions hurt black Americans and make their situation worse. The broader point is I uh, make in the book is that black Americans are like the canary in the coal mine. These same solutions are being tried on all of America and they're going to be harmful for all of America. It's just that they're having the greatest effect on black America now.
1: So, uh, you, you mentioned uh, you ran through some policies there that are uh, pretty common out there that everybody knows about, um, but they're being, you know, they're in, they were put into place and sold as being beneficial to black Americans. One uh, of those do you think is the most harmful? Well, if you can pick one.
2: Poor stewardship of the economy has been absolutely the worst. Um, He has created what we call uh, energy poverty. Black Americans typically use a higher percentage of their household incomes for energy than the population at large. If you spike the cost of energy the way the Biden administration has, that means black Americans are hurt even more. Now, add to that the Biden administration's inflation policies. They have eroded the ability of people to spend the sort of household responsibilities, and black Americans, like many other Americans, find themselves saying, the month is over and there's no paycheck left. What am I going to do? In fact, when this administration admitted that the typical american household is not prepared for a 400 emergency they left out that black americans are triply so not able to handle a 400 hundred dollar emergency flat tires transmission service or even home air conditioning repair
1: and so how have democrats succeeded in doing this horace um it's been going on for a long, long time. I'm, I've been around for a while, and it's, it's been around for as, basically as long as I have. Um, how have they been able to keep getting away with this? Is, is it uh, the, the media? What, what, what is the—they I mean, this, this, just—if the, if what you're saying is true, and I don't disagree with one bit of it, why has it been able to continue for as long as it has?
2: So uh, this administration, like many other progressives, tell us, we are the people, they say to us, they are the people who are going to just give you $100,000 for nothing. Mm-hmm. They're going to give you a student loan that you don't have to repay. They're going to give you groceries at a discount. They're going to give you broadband. And there are Americans, even some, who don't think of themselves as people on the take are people who are uh, recipients of government largesse who think, well, I mean, if they're just giving these things away, what they never tell us is, oh, well, we're going to give you prescription medicine. We're going to give you, and you fill in the blank, and we're going to charge that, and your grandkids and great-grandkids are going to pay for it double double are triple and by the way we're going to keep giving so much so fast that we have reached a point today july 2023 that the single largest government expenditure is interest yep yeah not the defense department not social security not not other programs that we have thought were legitimate for government to do this has driven inflation and it is crushing One of the reasons that there has been a difference this time around is that many Americans, including blacks, can see what it was like just from 2016 to 2019. And they can see that record numbers of Americans bought new cars. And in fact, record numbers of black Americans bought a Ford F-150. We're now seeing record numbers of Americans, particularly blacks, having their car uh, repossessed. We're seeing record numbers of black Americans having their homes foreclosed on. The uh, Biden administration assures us that we have record numbers of employment. What they don't tell us is that the employment gap between white Americans and black Americans is widening it is widening dramatically they don't tell us that the number of black americans who own their homes today is as low as it was before the 1960s civil rights effort it is not because someone has come in and burned your house down it is not because someone has come in and threatened to hang you it is because the mismanagement of our economy is devastating it is first harming black americans but if you sit back and do nothing it's coming for you
1: yeah and um, so if what what do you do i, I mean I, I just think that a lot of this is is people black white whatever looking for instant gratification that's right and and so to say to them well listen what we got to start doing is is uh, spending less and all those things nobody wants to hear that they, they want they well, want to know why they don't have a better job they want to know why they're they they're, somebody's foreclosing uh, on their home they don't want to hear about these kind of solutions, they're they're too. And I'm not just sp- speaking about blacks, your horse. Everybody, nobody wants to hear this. As, uh, people who as support friend, the Democrats don't want to hear. As my friend,
2: him. God bless his soul, Walter Williams used to say, "There's no such thing as a free lunch." Right. And there are many Americans that are hoping there is such a thing. And progressives look us right in the face and lie to us and promise us, "Yes, there's a free lunch." They promised uh, people who went off to school, got supersized debts to pick up degrees that do not make them employable, (laughs) that they're just going to wipe those debts away. When the Supreme Court said no, instead of them admitting, you know, we told you we couldn't do this, we should never have done this, you need to be smarter about what you major in, they have announced they're going to try it again. And they've also followed up with, if you give us a complete control of congress we're going to figure out how to do
1: it we're talking to horace cooper his book is put y'all back in chains how joe biden's policies hurt black americans you actually i guess make a case in the book that these policies you're talking about here have hurt blacks even more than jim crow laws how's that possible
2: so um during the uh, early part of the 20th century. When the Ku Klux Klan reigned supreme, when uh, many states all across America um, put in law rules that stymied the ability of black americans to achieve we had more intact families among black americans we had a lower divorce rate among black america than the rest of the population in fact in nineteen twenty nine you were more likely as a black child to be born in a two-parent household as a black child than any other group the opposite of that is true Mm -hmm. unemployment rates black men were the most likely to be employed than any other group. today, Prisons, federal prisons in 1929 were, to be a black man was to be a rare presence in federal prison. Today, all of those numbers are worse and people can't afford homes, people can't afford uh, the kinds of opportunities to start their own businesses, all manner of the types of things that Americans took for granted, again, just three years ago. And It hasn't been hard. It's just that these policies don't work, and they'll never work.
1: Well, and what you just rattled off there, they not only don't work, they're counterproductive. They make things worse, and um, by, a, by a gigantic margin, they make things worse.
2: And it is going to be very difficult for us to unpack them. Mm -hmm. My point in writing this book is, let's say you're a, a moderate Democrat. You happen to be white. And you think that we need special policies so that black Americans can be helped. I show that all of those things don't work. And they've made it worse for blacks. And critically, if we continue doing them, it will make it worse for you. So we absolutely need to come together and reject this idea that we could have racial winners and losers. What we end up with is all the groups lose. Now, in the, uh, during the Jim Crow era, if you sold, uh, cars, If you were a car dealer, if you made dresses, you were a dressmaker, if you were a carpenter, and there were rules that prevented you from being able to do business with black Americans. And you say, well, what are you talking about? My great uncle, back in the day when you could pay cash for a car, Mm -hmm. he wanted a Cadillac. No Cadillac dealer would agree to sell him because it was a policy that in the South, you didn't sell a black American a Cadillac. Do you know what my great uncle did? He got on a train, went to Chicago, and he bought himself a Cadillac. If you sold cars in the South because you couldn't sell to everybody, you didn't sell as many cars. The same with dressmaking. The same with carpentry. And this is the reason, back then, the South was the most economically deprived. If we return to policies that pick racial winners and losers, wherever those policies are in effect, we will again have a deprived economy.
1: Um, and again, we're talking to Horace Cooper. The book is Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. Um, of course, we hear all the time about how this is a, a 50-50 country, that the country is split pretty evenly, uh, and the recent elections have shown that. But why does that split not exist among blacks? It's more like 90 to 10 in favor of the Democrats among blacks.
2: So the 90-10 talking point is no longer accurate. Okay, when good. Uh, Barack Obama was elected, he got 94%. Uh, 6% of black Americans refused to support Barack Obama. But guess what? Every election since then, uh, uh, 12, 16, 20, every election since then, the margin of black votes uh, that have not supported left-wing progressive policies have increased. And in fact, in 2022, that number reached the highest that we've seen in 30 years. The trend line is our friend. Black Americans are, in fact, Changing. Now, the goal could be let's get 50%, but you don't need 50%. All you need is 16% of black America to not support the progressive uh, 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 party or progressive movement. That makes Winning the Electoral College nearly impossible, that makes being able to take control of the Senate impossible, and that makes having control of the House of Representatives impossible. That is 16% if 16% of black Americans reject these progressive policies. And guess what the numbers said just in August? Just in August, 22 percent of black americans were complaining about how joe biden is handling the economy what he's doing on on the uh, eco agenda the green agenda on inflation on issues like the lgbtq there are fertile territory for people to explain to black america as well as the rest of america why the policies being pushed by this president are harmful
1: when uh, when uh, Donald Trump was indicted the last time and had his mugshot taken, there were lots of examples in the media of black, mostly men, uh, coming out. Uh, there were some some of them famous uh, entertainers, people like that, coming out and saying Trump's my man. Uh, that that I don't know if that's an artificial thing and whether how much you can take from that, you know, because you see it in the media. But what do you think, black? Again, especially I, I would think it would be men. Black men and Donald Trump.
2: Well, first of all, um, one of the bigger takeaways here is that there is a gender gap that did not exist when Barack Obama was uh, first running for president. Mm-hmm. Blacks and whites voted nearly excuse me black men and black women voted nearly identically. Uh, the gap is widening, and now the black man versus black woman gap is wider than the white man and the white woman. Uh, voting gap the second point is social media has fed the push to against uh, the uh progressive or big government agenda now that there are hundreds of thousands of people who post on social media how unhappy they are how they reject these ideas that are being pursued and pushed by progressives it becomes easier for more people to it was harder when you thought you alone when no one in your neighborhood when you couldn't tell if anyone at at work Now what we can see with social media is large numbers of of black Americans reject these. You can't turn TV on without hearing a person like me or who looks like me criticizing progressive uh, policies because of how harmful they are. And increasingly, we remind people they're harmful for everyone, not just for blacks.
1: Hey, uh, Horace, I always love having you on, and I hope to have you on again as the campaign moves along here. The book is uh, Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. Horace Cooper, thanks for coming on. Good luck with the book. Thank you, sir. And we'll be back. Well, with test scores as bad as they've been for, I guess, the last few generations of kids, uh, you would think that hiring teachers who are qualified to, you know, Teach would be the top priority, but, uh, but apparently it's not. Uh, according to the story in the New York Post, teachers are being hired for the wrong reasons. Therese Trump is the executive director of an organization called Speech First, and she joins us now. Therese, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, before I go, i got to ask you, because you have one a, a name I think I've heard before, your last name. <laughs> uh, are you related to that guy that no. used to be in the White House?
3: No relation. No relation to President Trump. I (laughs) I know. I'm used. I'm used to the question, so
1: (laughs) no. Okay. So, um, so anyway, you tweeted in response to the story I mentioned here that was in the New York Post uh, that Mm -hmm. that despite terrible test scores, that K through 12 schools have uh, quote decided to prioritize whether there are enough transgender teachers involved in the teacher hiring process. Please tell me it can't be that bad.
3: Oh, it is. Um, the article that you're referencing, the report that you're referencing actually uh, looks at various districts that are, have increased their requirements for their hiring practices in K-12 for teachers and administrators. For those panels, the hiring panels, to actually can make sure that they consist of transgenders or members of the LGBTQ community or uh, various races in order to essentially act as litmus testers to who is being interviewed during, during the hiring process to see if they are going to basically walk the line, walk that DEI line for them. And so, yes, as you mentioned, I tweeted this because I find this absolutely appalling. You know, we primarily work with college students and protect their free speech rights on campuses. And a lot of what we're seeing with the students is that they've gone through 12 years of indoctrination um, by, you know, in K-12, where the emphasis is on diversity, equity, and inclusion, critical race theory, systemic racism, anti-racism, instead of math, science, English, you know, the basic, the basic skill set that's required to function in society, to function in college, and we're seeing terrible test scores coming out. We are only decreasing every single year, even pre-COVID, on reading writing and arithmetic skills and capabilities and proficiencies we have seen that a huge percentage of college students 60 percent for community colleges and at least 40 percent for four-year colleges have to take remedial classes that means they are spending taxpayer money on taking classes on subjects that they should have already been proficient in by the time they graduated high school in order to do well in college so instead of focusing on all of that which we acknowledge and everyone recognizes is a problem the public school system has decided to instead prioritize DEI in initiatives.
1: I've actually seen stories, um, a couple a couple of them in the last few weeks. One that said that the kids, uh, they, they show up on a college campus and they can't write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they take remedial writing courses. And I've also seen remedial reading. Now, I was in school a long time ago, but... The kids who took remedial reading and maybe re- remedial whatever, they were in the third grade. That's when you, that's yeah. when somebody said, "Hey, you're not reading very well." You they would hold you back a grade. You'd, you'd you'd repeat second or third grade. They called it flunking back then, which you wouldn't be allowed to <laughs> do now. But right. but um, they fixed it before they got all the way to college.
3: Yeah, I mean, the public school system has our kids for 12 whole years. That is 12 years of educating them in the the things that should make them the most successful and functional within society. So you have to ask yourself if that's not the priority, if they're prioritizing something else uh, like identity politics, Marxist ideology, such as critical race theory. Why are they prioritizing that over the things that actually make a well-rounded citizen of this country? Because we do have to start to wonder, you know, not to be too cynical here, but you do start to have to wonder why are these the priorities over actually educating students in basic skills? Uh, and it, the, the, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, indoctrination it, because when they get to college, ultimately they've, they've been hit over the head with this kind of this, this terminology, this ideology for years. And by the time they get to college, they are they are completely compliant. They don't question the authority of the university administrators. So when they start to crack down on their free speech rights or on their other constitutional rights, students barely even recognize that that's happening. They're they are in lockstep with the university administrators at that point and they hardly push back, either because they're afraid to or because they actually don't even realize something is happening. And that's what that K through 12 training is really doing to these students is by the time they get to college, that all the money, the tens of thousands of dollars that they are spending, the hundreds of thousands of dollars they're spending on university tuition, it is going to training uh, c- compliance and activism uh, for the far-left agenda. And that is really ultimately what their goal here is.
1: We're talking to Cherise Trump. Uh, he, she is the executive director of an organization called Speech First. Um, and this so this problem, um, and you mentioned that it's – that it's uh, it's like indoctrination, and they large groups of these kids are showing up on college campuses, and they all think the same. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have to accept the fact that this is a a massive conspiracy theory where somebody got together in a room and said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make all these kids little Marxists, and here's the plan, or is it just something that evolved over time?
3: Well, I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, we are seeing uh, a large chunk of millennial and Zoomer generations actually partaking in Marxist ideology. Um, You see this rise of Antifa and Black Lives Matter, which those both embody very far left Marxist ideologies. And they're, you know, they're trying. A lot of students on campuses are being more and more radicalized when you see speakers being invited. They exercise very totalitarian tactics. There are policies on campuses that we sue universities on uh, that specifically target constitutionally protected speech, investigate students for their speech, and then ultimately punish them for it. Um, And there is, you know, students don't really, it's amazing to me because so much of this is normalized by the time they get to college. That the idea of reporting on each other and, you know, anonymously snitching on each other, that is so normalized for them that it's actually something they're used to, that they expect, and that doesn't surprise them anymore. And so I think it's important to recognize when we're looking at the education system, that really is the front line to this culture war that we talk about. And because, you know, like I said, in K-12, that's where they're going to normalize all of the language. They're going to normalize this by exposing kids to Far-left ideology, whether it be subversively through the hiring practices, or whether it be overtly, which we've seen in a lot of videos that have come out through lips of TikTok and other sources, that of teachers straight up just talking to kids about, you know, about books of basically which are uh, pedophilia, uh, you know, based on Mm -hmm. you know sex changes for children and sex acts by children, kind of really grooming them and indoctrinating them in that way, um, and taking all of that and just kind of normalizing it through these various techniques. And then by the time they get to higher ed, again, they're very compliant. They're not really going to push back anymore. And the professors, you've seen evidence of them trying to train students in activism where you have student government associations and other student organizations being encouraged by administrators to shout down speakers, to disinvite speakers that they disagree with, to go after other clubs and organizations that they disagree with, to report them. Uh, through these things called bias reporting systems where they anonymously report on each other, just like you would do in East Germany under the Stasi. Um, again, these are, this is all tactics that we have seen before throughout history uh, under you know totalitarian regimes. And it's scary to kind of see because, like I said, this is ultimately what the goal is. And like you said, it's, it might be a conspiracy theory to assume that there's a plan out there for this. But it, we are seeing it happen. So whether or not there's someone really pulling, this, there's a small group of elites pulling the, pulling the strings. You have the activity on the ground that pro, that show enough evidence of what's actually happening and what the results are.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the the uh, the indoctrination and the transgender stuff and the sexual orientation stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You may see it at some point. It's, you're not going to see it on TV because you he, he what Senator John Kennedy read uh, in the Senate today, I think it was today, uh, he mm-hmm. read from a book, one of the books, and I, the, the idea that somebody was able to say what he said in the Senate today, a descri- just reading verbatim out of one of the, one of the books, I, I think it's called Not yeah. Every, Every Boy is Blue or something like that, uh, the fact that they are teaching, he read it, and it was stunning. It was about a minute and a half that he read. You, you couldn't believe that he was saying what he was saying, at the, in, in the on the floor of the U.S. Senate. But it's out right. there, and that's what they're. And so these kids are these kids are being encouraged to read this stuff.
3: Right. And you see um, at these board meetings, these school board meetings, where parents come in and they bring those books that they found in their children's yeah. libraries on campuses, and they read for them, and they're censored. Um, and, you know, they're told that they cannot read that, that cannot go on the record because of how vile it is, how mm-hmm. how inappropriate it is. And they're like, well, if it's so vile and inappropriate, why are you teaching it to my kids? Why are you giving them access to this? Basically, it's pornography. And oh, why, no you know, there's there's, def- yeah. there's, phys- there's, uh, there's pictures of, of everything that they're talking yep. about in these books. Yep. And it's because, again, you know, they, they, t- they talk about uh, how we're calling them groomers and that we're just blowing it out of proportion – But just, you know, it it doesn't take much to just find this stuff and look at it on campuses and try and draw conclusions about what the ultimate goals are here. Why else would you be doing this when you have test scores that are at all time lows, when you have proficiency rates at all times lows and then you can't even get students to. By the way, all those numbers that I threw out in the beginning of the segment talking about all the remedial classes that 60 percent of Mm -hmm. college students have to go through most of those students do not even graduate the degree. So when we talk about student loans, by the way, and we talk about how much debt there is, students who don't even graduate with degrees have that debt still. And they don't have the jobs or the means they're not going to get the types of jobs to pay that off without a college degree because that's what they aimed at. That's what they were told to aim at. Um, but then you, you wonder where all this money is going. And if, when we talk about all these problems, Again, why would they be prioritizing those types of books? Why would they be prioritizing things like equity, which focuses more on outcome than actual mm-hmm. opportunity? Why would they be focusing on critical race theory? Again, they have to have an alternate motive because it's certainly not real education.
1: Not a good position to be in uh, to be 20 years old, drop out of college, and you can't read or write. That's uh, that's pr- right. and, and then be $150,000 in debt. That's not a good way to right. go. Uh, Amazing.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they still give them high school diplomas, though, convincing oh. everyone that they've somehow passed some sort yep. of level of education. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fraud. Um, mm-hmm. the, the diploma's fraudulent. Um, I, I wonder, you, you were talking about all the things that, that uh, these kids are expected to uh, believe by the time they show up on a college campus. I think yep. the component about this that makes it different from anything ever before was that there have always been... Um, controversial issues in school or uh, divisive issues where you take one side or the other, but this this in this case if you don 't you are these kids are told that if they don 't agree with what they 're being taught they 're not just dumb they 're bad people you 're a bad person if you yeah. don 't agree with this, and that 's what makes it really nasty.
3: Yeah, so that's what the parents are mostly told when they push back in K-12, through but in higher ed, it's far worse. We see policies on college campuses all the time that specifically target speech, so students are encouraged to report on each other anonymously for incidents of bias. Universities will define bias as anything from offensive speech, unwanted speech, joking, stereotyping, using what they call microaggressions, which most students don't even know what a microaggression is. When I ask them, they'll say, well, you don't really know what it is until someone accuses you of it. Uh, and it can be as simple as asking someone where they're from or why they're taking a certain class. And, you know, so those, those are types of things they are encouraged to report on each other on, including not using someone's um, preferred pronouns. And so when they're told as soon as they step on campus, we, we did a freshman orientation report last year. We just looked at all of these schools' freshman orientation materials. The first thing they're told when they step on campus is that, hey, there's these reporting systems. So you know that we, as a university, define classify most of this as harassment, even though that's not the federal standard for harassment. Um, And you can report on each other. You're mostly going to be racist. Merit is a racist concept. Uh, This is, you know, these are all forms of systemic racism that are built in. And if you're white you're most likely been privileged and that you should probably feel ashamed of yourself and bend over backwards to help minorities. Again, this is students are told all of this the second they step on campus. And then you expect them to actually be like, Oh, okay, now I have four years in front of me where I'm supposed to be focusing on my studies. But instead they're focusing on not upsetting each other, not getting canceled, not getting reported. uh, And they're terrified. They just don't speak up anymore. I've talked to faculty members on college campuses that tell me, They don't even have class discussions anymore. They don't even open the room for discussion. They just lecture and leave because they're so afraid of what's going to happen if they are accused of asking the wrong question or egging certain points on uh, during the discussion portion. So professors don't even attempt it anymore, and certainly neither do students.
1: And my question is, there are people, uh, more and more people know that this is happening on college campuses, what you just spoke of, but... They, they, the same number of people seem to be willing to shell out fifty thousand bucks to send their kid there. Why are these peop- Why are people who know this is ridiculous willing to pay the ridiculous amounts of money to send their kid to be subjected to it?
3: Well, we're seeing probably the highest number of students we've ever seen go to college that are just getting federal funding for it. So it's not. Yeah, but they got to pay back the loan. Exactly. So, but because it's not a directly and immediate, tangible concern, okay. most people just just like if people incur credit card debt to them, it's it's uh, not really consequential. Especially when there's all this talk coming out of the administration of loan forgiveness, and yeah, the taxpayers are going to be stuck with that bill. Everyone's going to feel it. The economy's going to feel it. It's going to be very palatable, but most most students see this as a free ride to college, socialized education. And they're going to take full advantage of it as long as it's in front of them. Unless someone steps in and starts to explain the dire consequences of this. But again, unless those consequences are immediately tangible, you're going to have a hard time convincing people not to take advantage of it.
1: We're talking to Cherise uh, Trump, Executive Director of Speech First. And I have, I'm out of time, Cherise, um, <laughs> but I know on your website. You have won multiple lawsuits uh, on multiple yeah. college campuses. I suggest people go to your website and see what you're doing. You're doing great work. Where do they find your website?
3: Absolutely. You can find us at speechfirst.org. We're also on social media, on Twitter, and I have my own account, Sharice Trump, uh, uh, on Twitter. And, you know, just just if if anyone who wants to listen to our podcast or support us through donations, it's incredibly helpful. We do litigate on behalf of our student members. We do defend students' free speech rights on campuses, which are in dire need of protection. We are in the process of trying to get one of our cases up to the Supreme Court. So any help and assistance that you can provide, that would be that would be great.
1: Well, go to the website at speechfirst.org. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Therese. Hope to talk again.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tom. Okay.
1: Yep. And that's Therese Trump. We'll be right back. Well, I guess you heard the story about uh, last night's football game and uh, Aaron Rodgers going out with a uh ruptured, I guess is the word uh, Achilles tendon he 's done for the year what a, it was like the fourth play of the, his fourth play of the game he threw one pass threw it out, threw a pass out of bounds to avoid a sack, and that was it um and uh that 's a shame, and there's a big build up in New York and everything but I, I want to talk about something I saw on Twitter today. Mike Greenberg is a guy who's on e s p n making millions of dollars a year. I think he's supposed to be – he's presented as a a journalist, a sports journalist. And you think about Howard Cosell and Larry Merchant and some of the other guys uh, who uh, – Brent Musburger, people who were reporters, commentators on the network level. Uh, Mike Greenberg, known by everybody uh, as Greeny, who's a talented guy. And deserves the money he's making. He's doing a good job at what he's supposed to do, but he showed up. I think it was before the game. He took a picture of himself uh, with some popcorn around him and a beer or something, and he was wearing an Aaron Rodgers jersey with a and wearing a Jets baseball hat. This is really, really embarrassing, and I and it happens on a local level, where I hear guys working for the, the local uh, sports station. Saying I'm I'm a big blank fan, but uh, and they're not necessarily excuse me they're not necessarily always talking about being a, a fan of one of the Steelers teams. I saw Skip Bayless, another National Network guy, making millions of dollars. He showed up in a Troy Aikman jersey uh, and was uh, and he took it off and threw it in the wastebasket because he was upset about something the Cowboys had done because he's a Cowboys fan. I mean, try to picture Howard Cosell doing that. I'm a big New York Giants fan, and I'm upset about it. This reporter would like to have seen the Giants win this football game, and he's standing there in a in a Fran Tarkenton jersey. These guys need to grow up. I mean, it's really, really, really embarrassing. Unfortunately, it won't cost them a nickel because they're, the, the the company they work for is perfectly okay with it, and sports journalism